Hello and welcome to The Conspiracy Sisters. I'm Maisie. I'm Georgia. And today we are meant to be doing another conspiracy theory, but I'm actually going to do another phenomenon, which I'm getting very good at saying now. Yes. Um, so one day I will come through on the conspiracy theory thing, I promise. But this one I've looked into quite a few times now and I just, I'm hoping at the end you'll see what I mean when I say that I love it. It feels wrong to say that I love it and you will see why, but it fascinates me. And it's a story that isn't very well known. I think it's well known in circles, you know, conspiracy theory, creepy unsolved mystery circles. But generally, it's not a very well-known story, and I think that it should be. I think it's a fascinating look into what I think is psychology of the times. So today I'm taking us to Black River Falls in Wisconsin. If you go over to the website, conspiracysters.com, and you take a look at the blog, or if you head over to the socials where Georgia will post the same pictures that you can see on the website, there are... A catalogue of pictures that I've included with this. You don't need to look at them to follow along with this story at all. They're just fascinating photos that are definitely worth a look if you get a chance to head over. And I'll explain all about the history with the photos and things shortly. But if you, if you can take a look at the photos, do. They're definitely worth a look. But don't worry if you can't. It doesn't change the way that this story unfolds. So Black River Falls is a town that was founded in 1854, and it was a beautiful, desirable place to live. It was rich, fertile land. There was a mining and a lumber community. Uh, there was a railway that connected Black River Falls to the state, which meant that it attracted industrious workers, and it was the ideal setting for a thriving community, and that's exactly what it was for a long time. It was a thriving community for a good 40 years or so. Highly desired place to live, and actually today still is. But there was a brief 20-year period in history where that was not the case at Black River Falls. And it's obviously that dark, dingy, depressing 20-year history that I'm going to focus on today and that I'm going to tell you about. Now, I've had a look on forums and things around Black River Falls. I've had a look at pictures of Black River Falls, and it is a gorgeous place to live. And actually, it looks very similar to where we grew up. In fact, I will show you the picture that I found of a postcard of Black River Falls. So this is, again, this is on the website and it'll be on the Instagram if you want to take a look, but you don't need to. This is just for George's benefit, really, just to show her what it looks like compared to the town where we grew up. They do look so similar. <laughs> they look really similar, don't they? The reason that I'm showing George this is because actually it does kind of feed into a bit of the scene setting that I want to do for the Black River Falls story. So having had a look on forums and things about people who live in Black River Falls or have family in Black River Falls, they do say that it's a beautiful place to live now, that it's a lovely community. But they do, a, a recurring theme tends to be that there's something eerie about the place, that the history has never really uh, left Black River Falls, kind of that it's haunted, I guess. Uh, maybe not in the traditional sense of hauntings and seeing apparitions and things, but there's something left behind in Black River Falls that is a little bit eerie. So to put into context just how strange this 20-year period was, I'm going to give us a little bit of a geography lesson because we do need it. And because I think when I first looked into this story, I was looking at it from the context of there was a Great Depression and this would have affected many places, not just Black River Falls. You know, this would have been a, a widespread thing across America and potentially the world. And... I was coming at it from the view that we were looking at somewhere like Birmingham or London, a big, very, very um, populated, large area. 
And I was when I first looked at it, I was like, okay, it's very depressing. There's a there's a lot of horrible shit that went down. But is it that unusual really? Was it that weird to have that much death and destruction and despair, really, in, in times of a depression? So that's when I started to look at where this was happening. Where was Black River Falls? What did it look like? And that's when I found the postcard. And I, I remember looking at it and thinking, God, that looks like Bridge North where we grew up. I also think, and I don't know if you're the same, but when you mention America, I think big. Yeah. I think everywhere is big. So if anyone mentions anything, because the UK is obviously so small in comparison and because we're both horrendous at geography, I think if you're talking about America, just in general, like a big location. Yeah, that's a very good point. I hadn't thought of that. But you're right, I do the same. I, Whenever somebody says America, I straight away think somewhere the size of Birmingham or London all the time. But no, so I, I started looking into what Black River Falls looked like, what it felt like, um, both now and back at the time of, of uh, this period of history that we're going to talk about. And actually, it's more reminiscent of the small town that we grew up in. So we grew up in a town called Bridgenorth. Some people out there listening might know it. If you don't, it's it is a small town. That's that's the best way to describe it. It's not it's not a village. It's bigger than that. It's it is a small town. But the key things that I want to point out are, I've had to use the census information that was last available. So we have just done another census. That information isn't available yet. So I am working off the 2010 2011 census for both America and the UK. So in 2010, Black River Falls's population was 3,622 people. Whereas the town that we grew up in, Bridge North, in the 2011 census, the population was 12,079 people. So it's around about a quarter of the size of the population of Bridge North. The key thing to point out with that is that the area is the same. Both Black River Falls and Bridge North, where we grew up, cover an area of 11 kilometres squared. So in a small town, we're looking at a population a quarter of what we are used to. And I would say I don't think Bridge North is overpopulated for a small town. So what I think the takeaway for this message would be is any listeners out there, picture a small town that you know and drop that population by a quarter, I think, because I think that's a fair thing to say. I don't think Bridge North is massively overpopulated. I think it's about right. So drop the population of a small town that you know and are familiar with down to a quarter of that size. And that's what you're looking at for Black River Falls. If I go back to the 1890 census in America, which is where our story starts, the Black River Falls population was even smaller. It was 2,261, which is as to be expected. And the population of Bridge North, again, where we grew up, I'm just comparing it to a town that we know, for 1841, which is the closest census that I could find to that one, was 5,770. So another key thing to note is that from the 1840 census up until the 2011 census, Bridge North has grown from 5,700 people to 12,000 people. Black River Falls, though, in the 1890 census has grown from 2,200 people to 3,600 people. There's been barely any growth. So it is and always has been a very small, sparsely populated community, but it was once thriving. That's kind of the scene setting that I want to put for a minute. So before we take a downturn into this dark and depressing place, I want us to picture not a city, because it is described as a city sometimes now, I think because it's a cathedral city, I think that's right, but I want people to picture just a small town with a very sparse population. And now let's go back 130 years 
to the winter of 1890 in Black River Falls, where this gorgeous, highly desirable place to live was starting to look very unrecognisable from the place that many people had decided they were going to start their lives and their families. This story takes place over 20 years, so from 1890 to 1910, and it is very much a story of tragedy, which is why I said at the start, it feels weird when I say that I love this story, but I love it because it's fascinating. I love it because I think it probably deserves more press and definitely I think it deserves more study, but we'll come to that at the end. So I'm now going to set the scene for where our story starts in this small, sparsely populated town. So the mine and the lumber industries that many people had moved to Black River Falls to be a part of had shut down. And as a result, people were unemployed and therefore the banks were starting to fail. There was no work, there was no money. And because there was no work and no money, there was no food and there was very little clothing, there was very little anything that you need to have, not even a comfortable life, but a manageable life. We're starting our story in winter and there was around two foot of snow, which further added to the blight. So there was an increased threat of starvation because of the bad weather and because of the snow. Is it, so I think you just actually just asked that. So is the reason for everything shutting down and its deterioration because of the winter and the effects? I think it was just the start of a depression in America, actually. I th and this is what I mean when I said at the start, I don't think this depression was localised to Black River Falls. I think it was happening all over America. And we'll examine it at the end, whether Black River Falls was actually just a bit of a magnifying glass on what was happening around the rest of America and why the Black River Falls story is, is so well known in, in communities that look at, you know, creepy stuff. But yeah, I think it's... I think it was a depression that was happening everywhere and it's just that it hit this town particularly hard and then the winter in Black River Falls added to the situation. Now because all of this stuff was happening people were starting to talk about witchcraft and devil worship so already the mental state of people in Black River Falls was starting to take a bit of a turn, people were starting to look for things to blame. And that's also at that time what people genuinely believed because they were so religious. Mm -hmm. And the rational explanation for bad things happening at the time was the devil or, or witchcraft, wasn't it? Yeah, it was easy to believe, I think, that God had turned his back on you because people looked to God for all their answers, didn't they? And when the answers were horrible, rightly so, I think people didn't want to believe that a God would do that to them. And so something else must have. Yeah, you're right. To further add to the blight... Diseases were starting to spread, as is the case in, in rundown areas and poverty-stricken towns. Diphtheria was starting to slaughter children at an alarming rate, and as such, houses and schools were being burnt to the ground to deal with this epidemic. The epidemic itself caused even more suicides and murders due to grief. People were panicking about their family suffering and decreased mental health meant that they were trying to put their family out of pain before the pain set in. That is an extreme reaction right off the bat yeah. to burn down the schools and your houses because of disease. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we are, don't get me wrong, with whatever anybody thinks of the coronavirus and COVID, we're not looking at a pandemic on the level of diphtheria, really. But we are living through a pandemic and, you know, you know there was panic at the start, there was mild hysteria at the start I would say there was a but lack of toilet rolls there was a severe lack of toilet rolls and pasta actually pasta and flour as well is that the modern day equivalent to burning down a school I think it was because the one day I actually did need flour and I nearly burnt down Asda 
because I couldn't find any. (laughs) Everyone was baking their banana bread and flour was just in demand. It was. And yeah, pasta. I went in. Actually, the one day, do you remember at the start of the pandemic, actually, when I tried to order stuff to make a large batch of chilli and I got sent one one can of beans (laughs) because everybody had raped the store to make things like batches of chilli and soup. And I had a can of beans sent to me in my online shop. Can you remember on the morning that we went to um, Aldi to get some normal groceries and no, and we need, we actually genuinely needed toilet roll and were frightened for our living situation because we just needed one pack of toilet roll. Yeah, like one four pack, wasn't it? Yeah. It wasn't even a big pack. It was one four pack of toilet roll. And we genuinely needed it because we hadn't anticipated that we would, there would be a shortage of toilet roll. And do you remember how quickly the toilet roll disappeared? It was it, it was insanity. I was having the time of my life. I was just really enjoying this the hysteria. It was crazy. Day. But we got there as it opened, if you remember, because we went before work, didn't we? So we got to Aldi as it had opened, and everybody else had done the same, obviously, because everyone was panicking. And like you said, we were trying to get this toilet roll, and it was just... The queues, by the time we got to the queues, were down the aisles, weren't they? It was, we did not anticipate that. But the thing about it was, it, I ended up biting like 12 cans of soup, didn't I? Because I said to you in the shop, I was like, I don't, I'm not panicking about this. I don't think I'm going to run out of food. But I think people are going to make us run out of food. So do I need to buy food now? Because I was like, I'm not concerned about starving to death in this pandemic. But at some point I will need to shop. And if people keep doing this, there's going to be nothing for me to buy. So I ended up buying 12 cans of soup. I ended up panic buying because of other people's panic buying? I think doing an episode on the effects of mass hysteria during a pandemic that we're living through is extremely apt because there was mass hysteria. Who was that one person? Do you know what? I bet it was accidental. I bet someone who normally buys bulk toilet paper just went about their day bought some toilet paper and someone was like oh it's because of the pandemic and then it just started this mass toilet paper buying (laughs) hysteria I think you're right and I think what was fascinating about it was there was no DMV so the you know the nice way of putting diarrhea and vomiting there was no DMV so there would have been no need for anybody to increase their toilet roll usage through the pandemic and also, it, it, it speaks of the times that we live in, I think, and our disposable nature now. Everything to us is disposable. But should times have really gotten hard, we could quite easily have just used other things instead of toilet roll. But that's, like you said, it's a good example of mass hysteria because it was the most ridiculous thing for everyone to focus on, but everybody focused on it. There was There was no reason for it. There was no... There was no reasoning with people. Didn't matter how many times you told people, they still went in and bought toilet roll every single time. I mean, there were even articles after of people trying to sell toilet roll because they had so much. I have to say, I'm extremely proud through this pandemic that I used my normal amount of toilet roll. Yes, I did too. I did too. Mine only slightly increased when you or Harvey came to stay with me. And that was to be anticipated. <laughs> so... <laughs> I I think we did well. I think we did well. I my my twelve cans of soup are still in the cupboard, so I'm a little bit upset about that. You know, I didn't need to do that. But you don't eat soup anyway. I don't eat soup. 
No, but this is what I mean. It's it's mass hysteria. I saw people emptying the shelves, and I was like, well, at some point, what if I actually need food? Because it wasn't just that, was it? If you remember, um, that day, as we walked in, the meat shelves were empty already, and the shop had only been open, what, 20 minutes by that point? So, because I, I remember saying to you, I was like, I don't even want soup, but there's no fit, there's no food, there's no meat, there's no veg, there's nothing. I'm going to have to just get stuff in case the next time I come here, there's nothing here classic mass hysteria mass panic ironically as well we were anticipating or worrying about the fact that we would just want a normal amount of food and we wouldn't be able to get it and all we actually did was order takeaway that is all we did yeah. for a whole year that's why there's still 12 cans of soup because <laughs> <laughs> i've eaten nothing but mcdonald's kfc burger king and Domino's. but back Back in these times, maybe they didn't need toilet roll and they just burnt down the schools instead. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. So it's it's an examination of the times and how things have changed. But our toilet roll was there burning down the houses. So that was their way of dealing with the epidemic. And like I said, that obviously it's, it's a big, bold action to do that, to burn down your house and your schools because of an epidemic. And people seeing that, it will have had an effect on their mental health. People were starting to panic more because these were the extreme lengths that people were going to to manage this disease. All of this combined, so the lack of work, the banks closing, a horrible winter, uh, lack of food, disease, obviously starts taking a massive effect. Many single men started to leave Black River Falls. They tried to get out as quickly as they could when they could see the very fast and intense dip that the town was taking. But sadly, that wasn't the case for families and things. All of their livelihood everything that they had was in Black River Falls and they were ended up faced with the decision of do we get out of this town and try and find somewhere better but we will have nothing when we get there or do we stay where our things are and we hope that things start to improve an impossible decision especially if you're a family with small children and things and you're looking at disease you don't know how widespread this disease and this this depression is you don't know if wherever you go to is going to be any better and you could end up with nothing when you get there so many people ended up stuck um, people that weren't stuck got out as quickly as they could and that again is another sign of how depressing things have become in Black River Falls. So that is the scene setting for this 20 year period. Very quickly before I go on to what the actual list of things that happened in Black River Falls is, I just want to talk quickly about where this list has come from because this is going to feed into a bit of a conversation at the end as well. So the town had a... Ah. <laughs> the town slow, slow. <laughs> breathe the town had a photographer called van shake now he wasn't um aspiring to be a big photographer that was going to go off to the city he was happy to just take stills of everyday life for people and for the local news and that's exactly what he did and these photos are the photos that i referred to at the start of the podcast that you can have a look at on the social medias and on the website Van Shake left behind about 30,000 glass plate negatives, or I think what we would consider films. Um, obviously, they were taken in different ways, but um, he left behind about 30,000 of them when he died in 1940. And they sat in his studio for about 30 years until the Wisconsin Historical Society managed to salvage 8,000 of them. A man called Michael Lacey, I think is his name. It's spelled L-E-S-Y, so I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, but I think it's Michael Lacey. He eventually found these 8,000 photos that Van Shake had left behind that the Wisconsin Historical Society had managed to salvage, and he chose around 200 of them for a book called The Wisconsin Death Trip, and 
this was because as he was looking through the photos, and I think if you go and have a look at them, you'll agree. They're very haunting photos, and it's not because he captures people killing people or people killing themselves. He doesn't capture any of the grim things that happen in Black River Falls. He just captures daily life there. But there's something about the scene in these photos that shows what daily life was like for these people, and that in itself was very haunting. Those photos that Michael Lacey found and put into a book, he coupled with newspaper reportings from the Badger State Banner, which was the weekly newspaper edited by a man called Frank Cooper and his son George. And this Badger State Banner, the weekly newspaper, it basically captured nuggets of daily life. And these daily life stories were both mundane and bizarre. So he would capture in this newspaper suicide next to uh, weekly offers in the shop, that kind of thing. So these things that are horrific when you read about them, he was capturing and placing in the newspaper as just mundane daily stories because that is essentially what they became, which is another very sad way of looking at Black River Falls, but that's what happened. So the way that Michael Lacey tells the story and the way that the documentary that was eventually filmed off the back of Michael Lacey's book, The Wisconsin Death Trip, the way that they tell the story isn't in any chronological order. It's not in a, a, a diary or a story format. It's kind of essentially just a list of these things that happened because... That's all it needs to be. You know, we don't we don't need to go into any real detail. The things that happened to these people were horrible. It doesn't matter when they did or in what order. The important thing to note, if you are going to take a look at the pictures, is that there is no matching up of the pictures with the stories. So Michael Lacey doesn't at any point try to infer that one picture happened with a story. He just gives you the pictures alongside the stories and you form your own conclusions and you create your own narrative about what it was like to live there and these families and these people. I'm going to do a very similar thing. I'm just going to read off a list of things that happened to the people in Black River Falls. You can take a look at the photos if you want to. You don't have to. And we'll just go through what happened to these people in this town. So, a young German man who had only been in Black River Falls for one month, so he'd only moved there one month prior, attempted suicide by lying down on the railway tracks and refusing to move. He was eventually moved on, but it took four men to do it. And once they had moved him he vanished. It's not known whether he later did manage to kill himself or whether he was one of the many single men that did eventually manage to get out of Black River Falls after only being there for a month. Or he was a ghost. Or he was a ghost. (laughs) The most rational explanation. (laughs) Next. (laughs) A farmer committed suicide. He buried a hole in the ground. He placed dynamite in the hole. He lay over the hole with his head on top of it, exclaimed, here I go and the Lord go with me, and he lit the fuse and the dynamite blew his head off. What? What a creative way to kill yourself. There are so many less dramatic ways to kill yourself. He wanted to go out with a bang, clearly. (laughs) I hate you. (laughs) I hate myself. A one-week-old infant was wrapped in a shawl and placed in a shoebox outside of the church and the child was left to the charitable people of the town and signed by a deserted wife. The next one, you're going to love her. I really love her. She doesn't do anything to hurt anyone. She is just tits. She's insane. Her name is Mary Sweeney, better known as the Wisconsin Window Smasher. She was a notorious window smasher, and I do mean, this isn't a euphemism, she just smashed windows. You know, this isn't, it's not an analogy for something else that she did. She just smashed windows. She was a notorious window smasher. She was sent to the asylum multiple times. 
She was jailed more than a hundred times for the damage that she caused. And she didn't know why she did it. Other than her only comment was that she could feel a rage building up inside her. And when she smashed the windows, it felt better. She was an ex-school teacher who had run away from her husband. And it's thought that she destroyed over £50,000 worth of glass in her career. I'm calling it a career because she put effort into this. And she travelled all around Wisconsin. So it wasn't just Black River Falls. She'd get on a train. She'd hop to somewhere else. She'd smash some windows. She'd get jailed for a bit. She'd get back on the train and she'd go somewhere else. She's an absolute menace. She is a pest. I love her. (laughs) And like I said, she never hurt anybody else. She was an avid cocaine user. Ah, Yeah, she used it liberally, noting that it quiets her nerves. (laughs) I think we can understand where the window smashing comes from. Yeah, yeah, she, um, but that's all she did. But she was a pest and she, in the documentary, when you're watching the documentary, she just weaves in and out of the documentary all the way through because she, in the whole 20 year period, probably longer than the 20 year period, but you know, the 20 years that we're focusing on here, she just pops back up, smashes some windows, goes to jail, gets put out. Pops back up, smashes some windows, goes back to jail. Please tell me the photographer caught a photo of her in action. They did not. They caught um, pictures of the glass broken after she'd been there. But the thing was, everybody knew who it was. They knew it was Mary Sweeney because she'd been to jail so many times. I can just imagine people just going about their day in the town and just seeing Mary Sweeney running down the street, smashing all the windows. And they're just being like, oh, you know, that's just Mary. Or these like poor shop owners who are just <laughs> stood in their shop and a brick comes through the window and they're like, Mary again? Mary walks into your shop and you don't know if she wants to buy something or smash your windows. <laughs> <laughs> what are you here for today, Mary? I, I love her. <laughs> yeah, I quite, I do quite love Mary. She's, uh, like I said, she never hurts anybody. Admittedly, if you're going through a Great Depression and all you've got is your shop, the last thing you want to be spending is for, you know, repairs on windows. But... She doesn't hurt anyone. She is just a serial pest. Just a window smasher. Notorious Wisconsin window smasher. <laughs> so that's Mary's story. She's she's at large for the whole 20 years. Going back to the slightly more depressing side of things. A Now, I don't... Before I say this next word, I don't know if it's the right way to say it. I'm fairly certain it's not the right way to say it anymore. But this is how it was reported in the newspaper. So a nine-year-old deaf and dumb male finds a pistol and shoots his sister to death for no reason, just shoots her to death. An unknown woman bought a train ticket for an eight-year-old boy. They think it was from Eau Claire, I think. I'm sure somebody out there can correct us if that's not right, but from Eau Claire to Black River Falls. He was put on the train with a label which just said Frank Hartman. Nobody knows if that was his name or if that's who he was intended for when he arrived in Black River Falls. But nobody claimed him when he arrived in Black River Falls and the woman then vanished. So this eight-year-old boy just ended up stuck in Black River Falls alone. A naked woman who worked in the butchers was found frozen to death by the roadside six miles from Black River Falls. Nobody noticed that she was suffering from any mental illness. It's thought that the likely reasoning behind this was that she had lost a child, which was sadly becoming very commonplace in Black River Falls at the time. She'd lost a child and declined in mental illness and that in a fit of delirium she had walked out into the cold naked and just died by the side of the road. They also think that she had starved prior to this as well, so she hadn't been eating and looking after herself at all. A 13-year-old boy ran away from home with his 10-year-old brother. 
they arrived at a farm in Black River Falls and they shot the farmer through his heart and then in his head with a shotgun before taking over the house. I think they were there for quite a while, actually, before the farmer's brother turned up and the 13-year-old boy fled, but the 10-year-old boy was caught by the farmer's brother and interrogated. And obviously, being 10 years old, he told the farmer's brother everything that had happened. The 13-year-old who had escaped was eventually run down by the authorities after a chase that lasted several days, and he was sentenced to life in jail. A young girl committed suicide in the lake, leaving a note accusing her parents of abuse. And then we see a few stories where the breakdown of relationships and marriages and things start to have a toll on people's mental health as well. So a teenage girl was jilted at the altar by her fiancé, went mad with grief and was committed to the local asylum as a result and ended up hanging herself in the local asylum. A young man who had also been jilted shot his ex-fiancé and then himself and a recently divorced man shot his ex-wife and her family dead in the crowded town square. Another young man shot himself in the head after leaving letters for the young woman that he was in love with. So a lot of tragedy surrounding love and relationships and things like that. A 15-year-old Polish girl set fire to her father's barn and house because she claims that she was seeking revenge because her father had beaten her for taking off uh, to go and visit the carnival. Their neighbours took them in after she had burnt down the house and the barn and she then burnt down this house as well. She then continued to set more structures ablaze and she was finally apprehended where she confessed to arson because she was lonely, homesick and bored and she wanted some excitement. She is the fire equivalent of Mary the Window Smasher. Yeah, also a pest. A fiery pest. The next one's particularly horrible. So a, a child was born and the father went out and got drunk. He stumbled back into his home, saw the newborn and bashed its head in. Uh, then turned on his wife and started choking her, but luckily, I guess, the neighbours uh, intervened before he could kill his wife, though I'm not so sure what sort of state she would have been in, having to live with her dead newborn. A man holding a Bible in one hand and a dagger in the other believed that God had sent him to kill the devil. He was caught and sent to the asylum, but on the way he tried to escape and leapt off a train whilst bound. Somehow he survived, and he was eventually subdued and then committed to the asylum. This next story has two versions. I think it's the latter, but I'll tell you both. So the first version is that a farmer decapitated all of his chickens and burnt down his farmhouse, convinced that uh, the devil had taken over his farm. The second version of the story is that a travelling group of approximately 50 drifters had swarmed the community and invaded the farm and they decapitated the 18 chickens. The farmer, as a result, believed that Satan had taken control of his property and burnt the farm to the ground. I think it's that version of the story that he came out and saw that his chickens had been decapitated and as such thought that Satan had visited his farm. I was going to say that makes more sense, but you're telling me a list of things that make no sense anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to know which is the real story. Either one of them is strange and weird and horrible. The next one is that a young woman was shot to death after refusing to marry a young man. The young man then shot himself in the head, but he survived. So the woman died and the shooter survived. Uh, A woman experiences stigmata, which is a Christian belief that bodily wounds appear in the place of crucifixion sites, so the the palms, the hands, the wrists, the feet, and that it is a sign from either God or the devil, but that there's no explanation for where these wounds come from. They're they're not self-inflicted, they just appear. A young mother 
takes her three children out for a day at the beach by the lake and then proceeds to drown them one by one in the lake while others watched. She suffered from mental illness, clearly, and believed that devils were after her. Her husband eventually arrived home to find her still sat by the lake with one of the children's bodies on the shore by the water's edge and the other two missing. He searched for his family, but he only managed to recover two of the bodies of his children, so the one on the edge of the lake and one in the lake. So one child was lost forever to the lake. In the documentary, and I don't mean to flatten this because that's a horrific story, the documentary does a very good job of highlighting just how depressing and grim Black River Falls is, but there's one bit in the documentary where they keep... There's a there's a superstition, a local superstition, that if you travel over the lake with, I think it's a chicken or a turkey, that the turkey will cluck as it finds a body in the lake. So when they've told this story, there's just every now and then through the documentary, the same way that every now and then you see Mary smash a window, um, you see these two people in a boat going along the lake with a chicken that's just clucking every now and then, and it kind of detracts from just how grim that story is. I'm assuming that that is how he would have tried to find his, his missing children. They only managed to find one. An opera singer arrived in Black River Falls with her son. They had used the last of their money to buy a little bit of land in the foothills of this mountain, which obviously, if you remember at the start of the story, Black River Falls was a highly desirable place to live. So they thought they were moving to somewhere to set up a life in the beautiful foothills of this gorgeous, desirable town. Obviously, when they arrived, they were sorely disappointed because Black River Falls had fallen into despair. Nonetheless, they tried to build a house with what little money and funds and things they had left. The house was very subpar, kept falling down, kept crumbling. And within a month, the opera singer and her son were reduced to eating chicken feed to survive. The opera singer started hearing voices and using a Ouija board. And during a trial for stealing cement to fix their crumbling house that the son had built, she started talking about spirits and anti-Catholic talk. And as such, was declared insane and committed to the local assignment. Now, she did actually managed to escape and it's thought that she ended up in Chicago. Nobody is really sure, um, but they think that's where she ended up. Nobody's sure what happened to her son, but he was old enough to be building houses and things. So maybe he survived and managed to live a life in Black River Falls after nobody's, there's no documentation about that that I could find. For approximately two days, an out of luck man was given food and shelter by the Wright family. When one of the children of the family referred to the man as a tramp, he attacked the entire family, killing most of them and ransacked the house looking for money. He then fled the home and wandered into a pond and shot himself in the head because of what he'd done. A farmer was found hanging from a tree. And in the local cemetery, uh, a grave was unearthed because of an investigation into what was suspected to be a botched burial by the funeral director. When they unearthed the grave, though, they found something even more horrific than what they thought they were going to find. They opened the coffin and they found the body of Mrs. Sarah Smith, who had very clearly been buried alive. So when they opened the coffin, her body was found with the fingers half bitten off. And it's believed that she was buried in a trance-like state. She wasn't actually dead. When she woke up and realised that she was in the coffin, she descended into madness and eventually bit off half of her fingers before dying. That's just the worst. It's literally my worst nightmare. No, just imagine waking up after being buried alive. I just can't. I don't know what I, I... I'm so horrifically claustrophobic anyway that I nearly had a panic attack watching that film about the miners. I don't know how I'd respond. You can't even imagine. 
a young boy visited a hypnotist and after visiting the hypnotist he couldn't speak louder than a whisper for four months medical examiners believe that the boy was under some sort of hypnotic trance which did not permit him to talk and the boy remained essentially mute until the trance just happened to break months later i couldn't find any reason why he was a hypnotist i don't know what the original reasoning was but yeah clearly came back worse than when he went a man tried to kill himself to avoid old age i understand this it works yeah <laughs> it's it's an effective way to deal he, with old age he got the job done he, he avoided old age he did uh, a 60-year-old woman with a rash on her back was afraid that this rash was going to kill her. So she stepped into her backyard, took off her clothes, doused them with gasoline, put the clothes back on and lit a match. I just love how dramatic people are. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a rash. It could be an allergic reaction and she is frightened that it will kill her. So she ended up killing herself anyway. It's um, a horrific way to die. Like, even if she had the rash, it might have been a less painful way to die than burning yourself alive. A woman gave birth to an illegitimate child and choked it to death. A man attempted suicide by swallowing a large quantity of cigar stubs. I don't understand. Why are all of these people so determined to kill themselves in the most painful and horrific ways they are yeah i think that's what makes black river fall so strange because it's not just trying to kill yourself it's trying to do it with flair i mean don't get me wrong there's many suicides in black river falls where it's just a gun to the head i say just a gun to the head it's a gun to the head or it's a hanging you know the in quotes usual ways to quickly end your life mm. quickly and painlessly or as painlessly as possible but yeah there's there's a lot of instances in black river falls where people just want to go out with flair and mm. much pain so that kind of rounds up the list. You know, there's they are the list of the stranger ones that were in the newspaper. But it's important to note that many people just walked out into the cold weather and let themselves die from exposure. Again, a fairly peaceful way to die, really. Uh, freezing to death sounds horrible, but you do just fall asleep. Many people were also found dead in their homes, having died of starvation. What's strange about that, though, is that the food was often next to them. So there often was food around that they could have had. Now, whether they were trying to save that food because they didn't know how long this period was going to last, it's hard to know. But yeah, many died with starvation. Many drank themselves to death. Many did get drunk and then decide to go and kill themselves, either by hanging or shooting themselves. So that list is the, the kind of the extreme examples. But the undercurrent all the time alongside those examples is diseases ravaging the town. So people are dying naturally due to these diseases that are spreading through the town. And also there's the, quotes, less interesting deaths that haven't made this list but are still tragic. And, you know, it's, it's, it's despairing. You know, people are drinking themselves to death. People, people just can't cope with life in Black River Falls. And they may not have gone out with flair as such, but they're, they're ending their lives because they just don't want to live there anymore. And what I find quite interesting as well is just how many young people, examples you've got there, and you're like kids as well that are really acting really in extreme ways. They're committing murder and they're doing these things so young. Yeah. And I guess that leads us on to why. So when I was looking into Black River Falls, like I said, it's not a it's not a well known story. It's not you're not taught about it in history and things like that. And as far as I know, you're not even taught about it in things like psychology books. It's not massively well known. And I was trying to figure out why that might be. So I started looking into it and there's very little out there to suggest why this happened. Obviously, depression 
and the town falling into general poverty is a why. But what I mean is, why did the people of Black River Falls respond to that depression the way that they did? Not not so much what were the circumstances that led them there, but why did they respond in these extreme ways? And I couldn't find anything. The closest that I could find to describing it was mass or collective hysteria. And I'll talk about that a bit more. But, you know, people... People talk about was the town cursed? Was there was it poisoned? Was there something in the water? Was it something to do with the altitude? Was there a lack of oxygen to the area? Or, you know, things like that. Was there something that made this town respond the way that it did? And then I started thinking, and this is just my theory, it might not be it might not be right, but actually was Black River Falls just a magnifying glass for what was going on everywhere at the time? And the difference with Black River Falls is that somebody was photographing it and writing it. They had a local photographer and they had a newspaper that was reporting this stuff regularly. So is it just that we have fairly detailed records of this happening in this place? And actually, it was happening everywhere, but it was just magnified here because Black River Falls is so small, because it's so sparsely populated and because they managed to record it. I don't know. Because like we said at the start, this amount of stuff happening in a massive city would go largely unnoticed. You know, if you're talking about somewhere that has got 100,000 in the population and you've got 300 or so deaths over 20 years in a depression, are you going to notice it really? And was it just the size of this town? But I still think it comes back to what you said before. It's These people aren't just killing themselves. They are killing themselves. They're going out with just bizarre ways of, of ending your life and of dying. So, like I said, there's theories of poisoning there's theories of curses actually because when the settlers arrived in black river falls the i think and i really don't want to get this wrong but the the information that i found online discusses the fact that the winnebago tribe of um, native americans were already there on the land but they agreed to move on so there was no there was no bad feeling they managed to live in peace with the settlers in black river falls and the winnebago tribe did manage to live next to each other peacefully there was no compared to many situations at the time where Native Americans were forced off their land. This was a situation where they, they kind of obliged and they, they moved on and they all lived together relatively peacefully. But as such, there are theories out there that the town was built on an ancient burial ground for the Native Americans. And so was it cursed? So that's one of the theories. I think the most likely theory is mass hysteria. Yeah, I think based on the sounds of it like the the people's mental health just deteriorated so much so if you're like if you're going through poverty and you've lost your job and you're seeing houses being burnt down because of disease and you're finding that every week maybe or a couple of times a week a tragedy or disaster like the ones that you've read out are being reported as mundanely as you say then you're just going to adjust mentally to that environment and like you said we can see that not many people came a lot of people left or were killed by something and I think that if you see that like it, it just seems like a little black hole of you're not really you're just stuck there you're not seeing any other hope or light it just seems like a really dark place and that will affect your mental health and mm -hmm. And if you like, like the example of the first one with the man who was there for a month and then tried to kill himself, if you're coming into a situation like that, it's going to affect your health anyway. If you're seeing so much despair and pain and and death, mm -hmm. so I I do think that probably it's a place where because it's it's so small and everyone is suffering, you're 
all going to suffer together, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. And the definition of mass hysteria is that it's a spontaneous outbreak of atypical thoughts, feelings or actions in a group or social aggregate and manifestations may include psychogenic illness, collective hallucinations and bizarre actions. So it's a group of people where this strange mentality seems to spread through them like a disease of its own, where there's no real reasoning for it. There's no, uh, I mean, there's there's examples of mass hysterias in the past where one of them was um, the, the mass dancing hysteria, where a group of people just started dancing for no reason, no music, no nothing, they just started dancing. And people who passed the group ended up dancing as well. And that's a much happier plague than than this one. It is, although, actually, because I thought that, and then when I looked into it, people did die because they just danced themselves to death because they didn't drink or eat or um, anything else. But that's, that's, it's bizarre. It's a whole group of people just randomly start that, and then everybody does it, and then nobody can stop. Maybe it was a dance-off and no one wanted to lose. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um... Yeah, and there's other ones. I think there was, um, I think there was a laughing hysteria as well, where people started laughing, and then everyone in the town just started laughing, and then couldn't stop laughing. And again, people struggled to breathe. People, um, you know what it's like if you get a laughing fit. It, you know, it was like that. And so mass hysteria is very real. Mass hysteria, as we talked about at the start, can present in many ways where people just panic, and then a social group decides to panic. It's often how peaceful protests end up being riots mm. because mass hysteria in a group same with uh, football games and things how hooliganism can extend out to people who would never normally be violent or never normally get involved in things like that the the group collective at the time changes the atmosphere and changes the the mental state of people around them and in quotes infects them mm. essentially with a similar mental state to themselves it does it sounds a lot like that it just it sounds like you go to a place that is so full of bad luck and despair and and pain that you're going to feel that yourself and if you're being born into it as well as so these families who are having children that, that aren't getting sick or and who are growing up they're growing up into a family that are more than likely depressed and anxious and they're seeing that all around them so that's just going to spread even more isn't it mm -hmm. i um i keep having to remember though that this is over a 20 year period because when you read out that list i imagine this all happening at the same time so i imagine you just being there and some man's jumping off a train and the set someone on fire someone else has like shot someone in the head and just being in that in that situation with all of that happening around so but i guess that means that if it was a 20 year period that would be like a you know what like what weekly like it would yeah, that's every the thing. Couple, every couple of weeks. That's the thing. And as well, like I said, these that list of things is the list of the more unusual things. But at the same time, you have got an awful number of natural death. I want to say natural death, you know, disease and suicides. And I don't want to I don't want to take anything away from the suicides and things. I don't mean that they're worth talking about less than the weirder things on this list, but I couldn't possibly talk about every single one because mm. there's just too many. It was just a very despairing, very depressing time in Black River Falls. Now, to end it on a high, Black River Falls did come out of this and they are now a thriving community again. They, uh, It's a lovely place to raise families, albeit slightly haunted by the sounds of it. There's a lot of people that visit Black River Falls, partly because of the history, but also because it is a beautiful place to go. There's a there's a, a big dam that people like to go and have um, photos and stuff taken by, and it's it's a gorgeous place to visit 
in in Jackson County. And as a result, it's not very well known. It's not very talked about, obviously. But apparently there is a bit of an undercurrent there when you go and visit it. Do you think that maybe people who go to visit it know the history and therefore feel that undercurrent? I'd be interested to, to know whether people have gone who haven't got any knowledge prior to the place and if they feel something that's... Yeah, I, th- I think it's probably that a lot of people who go there, or I don't want to say a lot of people who go there because it is a beautiful place. It's like Bridge North, people go to visit because it's, be- it's beautiful and it's pretty. So yeah, many people that go there probably don't know what the history is and therefore probably don't feel anything but the people that do probably are a little bit more in tuned to that you know what happened here and did it did they come out of it did it just stop or did it just ease out did things just gradually get better i think things just gradually got better so as the weather improved as um as disease started to die down people were started they could build their lives back up again a little bit and i think it's it's again like i said it's probably more of a magnifying glass on the whole of America because every everyone will have started to gradually come out of this depression. The banks will have started to reopen eventually. They they do right themselves eventually and industry can start back up again and, and things like that. So I think it was a gradual coming out of this period and it's just that for that 20 years in Black River Falls' history, it was particularly bad, but it, it was very likely a decline in and then a, a slow increase out. But things just hit crisis point for that 20 years so that's black river falls i love it it's creepy like, i understand what you mean with it being it's weird to say that you love it because it's so much pain and suffering and sad but it's that kind of creepy undertone of what why is everyone going to such extreme lengths to yeah. do extreme things why it's like a it, and when you start mentioning like you know witchcraft and and the devil and stuff like that it automatically just becomes that creepy undertone and like as you were telling me about it I imagined everything just being really dark like I really imagined this dark cold you know like deserted town almost and it is it it appeals to your spooky horror movie kind of side of you doesn't it yeah it does it does and I think as well like I said the thing that I was trying to think about when I looked like when I watched the documentary and listened about it the first time and ended up looking at YouTube videos. Like I said, in my head, it was happening to a big number of people. It was a city, you know, it was a, it was a big thing. And I, it didn't have the same impact on me as it did when I watched it with the view that it was happening to our hometown. So our, our little town with a quarter of the people in it that we are used to. When I watched it from that context, then I was like, oh, that would be it would break you. It would break your mental spirit to listen to that all the time in the town that you're stuck in. It's not even that you choose to be in, you're stuck there. You can't get out. You can't afford to get out. And it's that trapped feeling, isn't it? It's that, you know, I either potentially die here, I choose to die here because I can't get out or I wait it out. And how long do you wait? After 20 years, how long do you wait it out for it to get better? Yeah, so it's it's very gothic. It's very creepy. It's it's one that that I would like to look into more from a psychological side of things and, and a good example of mass hysteria. But I just don't know if there's, you know, enough of a record there really to be able to look into it and the effects of mass hysteria. But I love what like you know everywhere that I travel is somewhere that's got like a haunted or really old. So and we're very lucky in England to have like mm, loads, loads of places but like anywhere that I go is a town with loads of history and a castle and dungeons and 
like crime and punishment and like it's suffering <laughs> that's my holiday yeah and that sounds like just a town where you just got bored i wonder if they have a lot of the information of the history in the town whether it's something that they actually just want to put behind them and yeah i did i looked into that a little bit actually because actually wisconsin um is also where ed gain and jeffrey Dahmer are from as well so i was like that's quite um it might be quite a good one for us to visit one day, Wisconsin, and do like a, almost like a murder trail around there. That would be quite, and I'm sure many people do. And obviously Ed Gain and Jeffrey Dahmer are well known. You know, it's not something they hide from. You can't hide from it. So I wondered if Black River Falls was similar, whether they embrace it. And I, I don't think that they do. I think it's something that they've they've tried to put behind them a little bit. Because nothing good came from that 20-year period. Well, nothing. maybe it's like how, you know, we just, the like the plague, we, we just, yeah. that's just a part of history. It was a terrible time. Everyone suffered during yeah. that time. And that it was, it is what it is. That's just what it was. Maybe it's a similar kind of outlook. It's yeah, just, it probably is. It probably is. So, yeah, but apparently it's a very nice place to go and visit. And I'm sure one day when I win the lottery... Oh, yeah. <laughs> visit. We will go visit. When, if we win the lottery, we're not visiting like, you know, the beautiful places. We're visiting the dark. And... Oh, yeah. Screw Bali. I'm going to Black River Falls. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to find the most uh, historically disturbing. upsetting and disturbing places that we could possibly find. Definitely. And we will have mass hysteria when we come back. We'll be, we'll be. I sometimes think we're already there. Uh, yeah, to be fair. We I think, think we're our own micro mass hysteria. <laughs> So that's Black River Falls. I enjoyed um, it. Good. Thank you for listening. It is one of one of my favourites, although I'm going to say this every week because I just really love creepy stuff. As usual, please feel free to take a look at the social medias. What are they, Georgia? Uh, Conspiracist Pod on all the social media. Yeah, and head over to the website if you want to take a look at the blog and um, if you've got any comments on Black River Falls, if you know anybody there, if you're from there, if you know any more about the history or any of the stories that maybe got missed off the list just keep adding to the conversation you know that's what we love yeah and thanks for listening if you wouldn't mind rating us that helps us out massively as well if you're listening and actually we have started a patreon page now i know that we're early off the bat only doing this on episode three but this is something that we were really enjoying probably more than we thought that we would when we started it any amount of money or contributions would help us even just you know get better mics so that we can do this and make the editing just that little bit easier that would be great um so if you like what we're doing and you want to contribute you can do a one-off contribution at patreon.com forward slash conspiracisters uh if you like what we're doing and you want to contribute more regularly then we do have tiers that you can sign up to starting from two pound a month um, and increasing from there and you can choose the tier that suits you based on the rewards that you would get. So we're offering things like a Patreon shout out, um, bonus content, uh, live sessions with us where you can do ask me anything and things like that. So, yeah, so that's it. Take a look. If you if you want to donate, that would be amazing. But these episodes will always be free if you don't want to anyway. There will always be a free weekly episode on uh, wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you don't want to donate that's fine but if you want to if you can just leave a review that is one of the most important things to us to let us know how we're doing and if you're enjoying it and uh, it only takes two minutes so it does and it's totally free to leave a review and and um, and rate us anywhere so that would be amazing and that's it so we'll we'll see you next week (laughs) (laughs) um where it's my turn 
And I've got another creepy one. We've got two creepy ones in two weeks. I'm excited. A lovely creepy one. Cool. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.